Morning. This Sunday we have the story of the Emmaus disciples, Jesus walking with them and sharing the word of God with them. Uh, law and gospel this Sunday uh, that uh, the disciples lose faith. They lose hope. We're going to see this in the words that they speak to Jesus. They've already decided that Jesus wasn't the Messiah uh, because of his death, but this happens because they don't either they don't understand the scriptures or they don't uh, believe in the scriptures. Very often, uh, God's way of doing things seems wrong and mysterious to us. Uh, and because of trials and tribulations in our life, because bad things happen, we might be tempted to, to lose faith, to, to give up hope like the Emmaus disciples. But when we dig into God's word and search it for answers and comfort, uh, instead of assuming that we understand it correctly, we find that <laughs> we find out that God, that the things we see around us are not reasons to give up hope. And this is really what the Emmaus disciples are going to find out too, that the problem wasn't with Christ or with his word, but with their faulty understanding. Um, and that, in fact, Jesus was supposed to die and rise again. And this this whole thing is a good thing. Uh, Luke chapter 24, uh, starting in verse 13, Behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So Luke uh, records that two of them, one of them we know his name was Cleopas. Uh, there is a, a similar name, Cl uh, Clopas without the E, whose wife is uh, at, at the foot of the cross. Uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas, uh, is at the, the foot of the cross, we learn from John. So perhaps this is that same Clopas, just the name just written slightly differently. Uh, and perhaps it's even his wife that's traveling with him. Uh, we don't really know who the second person was. Uh, lots of different suggestions have been made, but we don't know for sure. Perhaps it was his wife, perhaps it was uh, somebody else. But anyway, two people are traveling to uh, the village of Emmaus. The Greek here, uh, 60 stadia, translates to about seven miles from Jerusalem. There's been quite a bit of debate what village this is. There is a village that Josephus mentions named Emmaus, uh, some distance from Jerusalem, about three and a half miles. And so it's very likely that's the village he's talking about. And the seven miles mentioned by Luke is seven miles round trip. That's not really how we would talk. If we had said seven miles from Jerusalem, we would mean one way. But it's not, it wouldn't be uncommon for uh, first century Jewish people to speak in that way. So it's very possible that the, the city itself was three and a half miles away, which would have been about an hour trip. Either way, whether it's an hour or whether this is seven miles is one way in it, and then it's about a two hour walking time. The These two disciples had plenty of time to talk to Jesus and learn the truth of the Old Testament from him. Uh, so as they are walking, they're, they're talking together about all the things that had happened and while and verse 15 while they conversed and reasoned jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were restrained so they they did not know him it, so scriptures re reveal to us that that there's divine intervention in here jesus did not want them to to recognize who he was yet he wanted them first to learn from scripture one can imagine that if they knew who jesus was they probably wouldn't have been listening too much to what he said they would just be so excited to to see him and, and so overcome with joy it would have been hard for them to 
to listen to the Bible study he, he's going to present them with, right? So maybe that's why Jesus did it. Uh, but in any case, uh, we, our eyes are often clouded by our sin. We often don't see Jesus because of our sinfulness, and yet it is through his word that Jesus is revealed to us, uh, just as he he is revealed to these disciples, through first through his word and then through the breaking of bread. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened here in these days? So Cleopas is astounded that anyone in Jerusalem cannot know what they're talking about. Yeah, didn't you hear about Jesus? What's going on here? But uh, Jesus's uh, emphasis is why are you sad? He knows what they're talking about, but his emphasis on the question is, what, why are these things making you sad? You should have known. And that's, of course, exactly what Jesus is going to say in the next verse, uh, verses 19 and 20. And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up and to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. So right here you see these disciples' lack of faith and death kind of of their hope. They say, or Cleopas anyway, says a couple of things. First he says he was, right? He uses a past term tense. So he doesn't really believe the, the women that Jesus has arisen, or he doesn't believe the angels that Jesus uh, has arisen. He uses a past tense for Jesus. Not only that, but he says he was a prophet. A few days before this, undoubtedly Cleopas would have said more than a prophet. He would have said the king of Israel. Undoubtedly, Cleopas was with those who, who waved the palm branches on Palm Sunday and said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, just a few days before this, he would have undoubtedly said that Jesus was more than a prophet, but now he just relegates him to, to the rank of prophet. Uh, he's lost that hope that Jesus was the Messiah. He probably thought that a few days before, but now the fact that Jesus died in his mind proves that he was nothing more uh, than another prophet. Mighty indeed in word, he, he still acknowledges uh, Jesus's power and the truth of what Jesus is what Jesus spoke, but he's lost his hope that Jesus was the Messiah that had been promised. Uh, he gives in to the, the temptation of the Jewish leaders. Remember, the Jewish leaders made that exact claim when Jesus was on the cross. Come down! You want us to believe that your Messiah come down and prove it. And apparently Cleopas uh, agrees with them. If he really had been the Messiah, he would not have allowed himself uh, to be put to death. Uh, and so Jesus's rebuke later on, as we're going to hear, is well earned because uh, Cleopas is giving in to that false ideology that Jesus's death proves he was not the Messiah. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body, but they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So Cleopas relates these details as further complications, further astonishment. He, he's talking about crazy things that have been happening, the crazy things that have been going on, and he relates this as part of it. Uh, you know, not only was was this great prophet crucified, but but now, even after his death, uh, he's, he's causing this sensation. That this thing, but he doesn't really believe it, as we've already seen. 
Uh, they found it that way, but where is his body? We don't know. And so they're, they're talking about the things that are happening, and they're, they're things that are, are kind of nutty enough to talk about, right, M make the front lines of the tabloids here. But Cleopas himself doesn't really believe it, or at least isn't really sure that he believes it. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? So the problem, as so often the problem is, is not with God, it's not with Christ, and it's not with his word. The problem is with our sinful view of Christ and sinful view of his word. There misunderstanding of scripture uh, led them to hopelessness at the death of Christ instead of rejoicing that uh, their savior had finally died for their sins. Their misunderstanding of scripture led them to doubt the women instead of recognizing the truth that Jesus should have died and risen again. And we probably would have been right there with them. We, we have to understand that, right? We know that we probably would have uh, misunderstood scripture and, and, not, and not appreciated the truth of Easter morning. And there are many other ways, too, that we take God's word and we misunderstand it. And because we misunderstand it, we misunderstand the things that are happening to us in our lives. So many people, when bad things happen, immediately think that it must be God punishing them for some sin or bad things happen to the nation. And clearly that's God's uh, wrath upon, upon the sins of our nation. Uh, when the Bible doesn't speak in that way, we have the example of the, the blind man and the disciples saying, well, clearly the this man or his parents, somebody sinned that this, this curse is upon this blind man. And Jesus says, no, it's not because of a particular sin, but in order that the glory of God might be revealed. So that's, that's one aspect of which we so often misunderstand God and his word. And because of it, we might be led to the same kind of hopelessness and despair as these Emmaus disciples, when in, if we instead search the scriptures diligently and, and hear what they're teaching us about Jesus and, and about our Savior and about uh, how much God loves us, uh, those events would not uh, cause despair or fear in our lives because we would know that Jesus is in control. Now, you know, despite their, he, he rebukes them, well, foolish ones and slow of heart. The, the problem is with your lack of understanding and your, your refusal to listen to what scriptures say. But nevertheless, even though he, he rebukes them and he rebukes us too for our lack of, of reading and living in the scriptures, as he said earlier, nevertheless, uh, in his grace and his mercy and his love, he expounds them. He doesn't just kind of disappear and say, oh, you're unworthy of my presence because you didn't read the scriptures. But he takes the time to walk with them and show them, reveal the scriptures to them. And, and God does the same thing for us, taking the time in his love to walk with us and to reveal his word to us. He promises to send the Holy Spirit to open the scriptures to us. That's something that happens through the reading of his word. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us in visions at night. He doesn't, he's not a voice in our head or in our heart. He, he speaks to us through the Holy, through the word, but he is the one who opens that word to us, just as Jesus opened the, the word here to the Emmaus disciples. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And there we have the key to understanding all scripture. We always have to ask ourselves, what does this teach us about Christ? What does this teach us about Jesus and about God and about his love for us? Too often people approach the scripture saying, what can I learn about my actions or how I ought to live my life from this Bible verse? Uh, and the scripture does have the law. It does uh, guide 
guide us and, and direct our actions and teach us what to do and not to do. But the real key to understanding the scriptures is not how, what does this have to tell me about my attitude, but the real key to understanding scriptures is what does this tell me about God in his attitude towards me and the things he's done for me. He expounds them, the things concerning himself. Jesus is the key to, to all the scriptures. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And of course, we have that beautiful hymn, uh, Abide with us, <laughs> dear Savior, uh, which no doubt is taken from this very verse. Uh, and what a wonderful thing that you know Jesus did go in and, and spend the evening, not just the day walking, but the evening with, uh, with them. And we pray that God would, would spend many evenings with us as well as we gather around his word with our families. Occasionally, we have church in the evenings, and so the, the, Jesus spends time with us in the evenings then. But um, in our family and in our homes, we want him to to spend the evening with us as we gather together with our family. Now it came to pass as they sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. It's kind of an interesting point that Jesus is the guest. Uh, they invite him in, and yet he almost immediately turns it around and becomes the host. Uh, it was the host's job to, to break and, ble and bless the bread, uh, when you go to somebody else's house, it, you know you they're the ones who lead in prayer, or uh, whoever's house it was is the one who carves the turkey on Thanksgiving Day, right? Um, so Jesus is the invited guest, but he quickly takes the position as host, and uh, he does so in our family and in our meals as well. We we begin our our meals with come Lord Jesus, inviting him to be our guest, but uh, he comes and, and leads us in the meal and, be, and becomes the host, uh, giving to us the food of eternal life. He breaks the bread and gives it to them. Now, this is does not appear to be the Lord's Supper. He's not giving them the Lord's Supper. And, and one of the reasons why it's probably not the Lord's Supper that's being performed here is because there's no mention of the cup. It's just the, the bread that he blessed and broke. Now, it's possible that he blessed the cup and passed it around too, and Luke simply doesn't record that. But it seems like this is not uh, the Lord's Supper. This is not communion itself, but just a, a sharing of an evening meal and the normal prayer that goes before it. Nevertheless, it certainly is reminiscent of that Last Supper. Uh, and so it is through that, that memory of him blessing and breaking the bread, although um, this is Cleo Cleopas here would not have been at that Last Supper, so uh, he wouldn't have maybe known about that yet. Uh, and the other disciple, you know, if it was his wife, wouldn't have been there either. Uh, maybe the other disciple was one of the 12 who was at that Last Supper. We don't know. Uh, so that's a further reason why uh, this is not a reference uh, to the Lord's Supper. But nevertheless, the disciples would have been very familiar with Jesus's blessing and breaking the bread. It was something that, that he did often, and not just with the 12, but with the, the disciples in general. You know, when the feeding of the 5,000, he first blessed and broke the bread and then distributed it. Uh, he often ate with uh, tax collectors and sinners, blessing the bread and distributing it. So this would have been uh, a common thing, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. So Jesus used the this breaking of the bread to reveal himself to them. First, 
he taught them the word and that word opened their hearts to understand the scripture then they were able to see the resurrected christ and the same is true with us as well uh, the word of god opens our hearts uh, to believe what scripture has said and then through that opening of scripture we are able to see the resurrected christ maybe not physically <laughs> but uh, spiritually we are able to to know and acknowledge the truth that he is risen from the dead. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road and when he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the of the bread overcome with joy rejoicing in the truth that jesus is risen from the dead they they can't spend the night uh, in emmaus but they return immediately to jerusalem uh, to share this wonderful news with the 11. and this is further by the way this is for further proof that that second disciple it's Cleopas and one other disciple. That second disciple was not one of the one of the twelve because it says they found the eleven uh, back in Jerusalem. So again, we don't know who uh, that second disciple was. Could have been Cleopas's wife. Uh, could have been somebody else. But it most likely was not one of the eleven. Peter had already seen the Lord, and now shortly after this, the Lord appears to all those disciples uh, that were to gather together to show that he is risen from the dead. A very powerful story, a very important story, revealing to us uh, both the importance of God's word, uh, that, it, that it is through that word that we know and come to him, and also the key to understanding scripture. It's not the only place that scripture reminds us of this, but it's a it's one of the places where it shows very vividly how uh, when we read the scriptures without Jesus in mind, we are going to misunderstand them. When we read them asking ourselves, what does this say about Jesus? Now the, the scriptures are open to us and we understand them the way that they were meant to be uh, understood by God. Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson. As always, uh, let me know if you have any questions.